Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and if I could be part of any dream dream team, it would definitely be part of Jack Havoc's pirate crew in Larklight, because who doesn't want to sail an 18th century sailing vessel through space? Obviously, right? Through space. Um... If I, I'm Caitlin, and if I were part of a dream team, you know, my first reaction to this question was that I wanted to be on the Serenity with all of, like, those miscreants, but then I really thought about it, and all the times they get tortured and, like, blown out of the sky, and how dirty they all are all the time, and then I decided that was a bad choice. It's really fun to watch them, but they don't have a fun time themselves. No. They have nice chemistry and are, like, fun with each other, but, like, that's to offset the fact that they're almost always about to die so so wait what team would you actually choose then i don't know i was thinking about all of these and all of the dream teams go through lots of crap like i was like harry potter cool oh wait voldemort and (laughs) death eaters or i mean like aurora burning i I mean like the plant things taking over i don't want any of that i would like to just sit at home and not be part of a dream team i would like to be a hermit so like like a hobbit crew is your thing but not a hobbit crew crew. But the ones that More stay home, singing, the ones less that dying. stay in the what? What is the Hobbit Tavern? Not the Green Dragon. Oh, I don't remember. The, green the Prancing dragon. Pony. The Prancing Pony. Hang oh, out yeah. in the Prancing Pony or the Green Dragon. I, I think the Prancing One, Pony the is the Prancing in, Pony is where that's in is where Frodo almost oh, dies. Yeah, prancing okay. Pony is in Bree. Green Dragon. Yeah, that is one's in Bree or the Shire somewhere. I don't know. Yes, right. I'm Kristen, and if I were part of a dream team, I'd want to be a crew member on the Ghost in Star Wars Rebels because they are awesome, and they're fighting for a good cause, and that would just be great. I'm Cameron, and my pick is the Able Township crew from Zombies Run. All right, well, today we are talking about not teams, but a close second, platonic relationships. So teams and dream teams definitely fall under that category. So, by platonic relationship, we mean anything not romance. So, what place does or do platonic relationships have in children's lit, YA, etc.? Okay, to me, platonic relationships in children's lit are so important. Mostly because, so, so here's the thing about romantic relationships as I view it, is that lots of people have many romantic relationships in their lives with varying degrees of longevity, where yeah, maybe you'll date this person for a couple months or maybe you'll date them for a couple of years or maybe you get married to them. But for every romantic relationship that you have, you have at least five times more non-romantic relationships. Like you've got parents, you've got friends, you've got siblings, you've got coworkers, you've got that weird person who's always doing something on the train. You've got neighbors, <laughs> you have arch enemies if you're a certain type of person. You you have Kristen is the one with weird relationships with weird people. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. There are so many weird people on public transportation, and like your friends will have romantic partners, and all those people are in your life. And and in my opinion, that's a good thing. You need people in your life that are not romantic interests, and and you need to have other people that you you need to have people that you can also dislike with non romantic dislike. And characters when they get the chance to reflect that are doing a. a they're, they're being more realistic, in my opinion. And I think something else to that point is that non-romantic relationships are often longer lasting. Like, your relationship with your parents is going to last a lot longer than the relationship you have with some dude you met on a dating app. So, Hey, it depends on the dating app. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Farmersonly.com uh, <laughs> exactly. is going to last you for a life. 
Exactly. <laughs> but I just think I think that you're going to have more realistic and and more complex stories when you allow for those other types of tension. Like if you've got friendship breakups or family disagreements or friends betraying each other, it's just going to be a really nice book. <laughs> and you can still have the romantic stuff in there, but it'll feel more whole. Well, like because other char- other characters are one of the best ways to show stuff about your POV, right? Like you want to have them interacting with each other and you can see, you know, how they bounce off of each other and and you know, shenanigans happen. And the different kinds of people you have your POV run into allow you to show different kinds of things. And so obviously, if you have a wider spectrum than just heartthrob, you can you can show more stuff. So Yeah, along with that However much drama a romantic relationship can have, any relationship can have a ton of drama. So if you limit yourself to only romantic relationships, like Cameron said, you're you're totally eliminating the possibility to show those aspects of your character, but also just the wonderful drama, good and bad, that can come with interacting with other people. Yeah. Some of my favorite rom- relationships in um, books and in movies are those platonic relationships because like everybody has already said the romantic relationships are exciting and interesting and and new but a lot of times it's those other relationships that really sell a book or a story or a movie or whatever else like I was just thinking about um, Red Rising and Mustang like I mean she's okay I guess but like Severo is awesome even though that's a new relationship Severo is something that's consistent through the whole book and he's disgusting and gross and he's still awesome and like one of the best parts of the books or like I was thinking about a Bollywood movie Rob Nivana de Jodi which has Shah Rukh Khan where he marries a girl because her fiance died on the bus ride to their wedding because obviously that's what happened and her father asked him to t- to marry her because that's I guess what Indian parents do they're like you didn't marry that guy so why don't you marry this one anyway but my favorite part of that whole movie is his weird hairdresser boyfriend who shaves his not boyfriend hairdresser friend who shaves off his mustache by accident or like in I'll give you the sun Noah and Jude that whole book is about twins who are best friends and so closely knit together that you can hardly see the space between them suddenly having a fight and there are like really interesting other relationships happening in that book but the one that it really like that killed me in that book is their relationship and that's the point of that book it's it's a wonderful book you've not read it's by Nicole Yoon and um it's what really makes it interesting and relatable and a lot more real well Stranger Things does that too um Steve and Dustin by far my favorite pairing of like any of the characters even though I like Nancy and Jonathan are very interesting I'd rather watch Steve goof around with the children any day. So having a lot of platonic relationships in your books really adds a lot of color, I think, is what we're getting to. And it's, well, in depth. In depth, depth, yeah. So it feels like we've addressed the question, why is it important to have a variety of different kinds of relationships? So maybe I can augment this next question by asking, uh, how can authors put a variety of relationships in their books? I actually do want to talk about some of the things about why it is important to have a writing because I feel like Kristen made some really good points in the notes. And I wanted to just say, like, if you don't have these extra things in your book, like your characters will feel flat because like Kristen said earlier, like all of us have tons of platonic relationships. And if your character is a character who like has like token best friend and is madly in love with somebody, like it's going to feel like an empty story. Well, consider like you have you have your 
if your if your POV is only defined by the relationship with their significant other, there has to be drama in that relationship because book, right? When that drama happens and the relationship, you know, creaks, cracks, starts to fall apart, all of a sudden everything that defines your character is also creak, cracking and fall apart. And like that, on the one hand, like that could be like a great moment of like character growth. But I'm mixing metaphors, it also and it's bad. doesn't really Someone say nice me. things about your character. If you yeah, are destroyed by a relationship going. ending, it's not really sending great signals to the people who are reading the book about what's healthy and what's not. Um, so how to write these relations. I do want um, Kristen to go through and talk about all the different types of love in um, Greek. I guess when I was thinking about this, I, I just remembered this great quote from Miyazaki, so I'm going to go ahead and read that for you guys because you're missing out if you don't know it. But he said, I've become skeptical of the unwritten rule that just because a boy and girl appear in the same feature, a romance must ensue. Rather, I want to portray a slightly different relationship, one where the two mutually inspire each other to live. If I'm able to, then perhaps I'll be closer to portraying a true expression of love. And that got me thinking about the sort of Greek philosophy behind different kinds of love. And in English, we end up uh, translating all of these just to love. But I'm probably going to butcher pronunciation on these, but there's eros or eros. No idea. Just trust me that it, it's a word and I'm saying it wrong. Um, but that's the romantic love that we're thinking of. But then there's philia, which is like brotherly love or love between equals. So love between siblings or friends. And there's storgy, uh, which is love between parents and children. So a familial love. There's philautia, which is self-love. And xenia, which is the love of hospitality for people you don't know very well. And then there's agape, which is like this empathetic universal love. I'm pretty sure it's agape. Whatever. Sorry, that one injured me. I was fine with the other ones, but that one hurt. How do you say it? Agape. Are you sure? Because are you sure? I'm not, but that's how. So if I'm wrong, several professors I've had are also wrong. I don't speak Greek, but we'll take care of it. I am ready and willing to accept that I'm completely wrong. <laughs> I should have looked this up when I was reading about it, but it's one of those like, oh, it's that word that starts with A, and that's just how my brain categorizes them. But uh, basically, and, and there are a couple of other ones, um, depending on the sources you go to, but basically love can break apart into a bunch of different kinds. And if you have the chance to explore that in a book, I think you absolutely should, especially because, like we said, it adds depth and reality to a character. I think that one of the biggest things that you can do is just giving people time together. Um, I think all of us have relationships that are based on just like shared experience, like your siblings or your cousins and family members, people who you took dance with, people you were in first grade with and, and grew up with or your soccer team or, you know, there are lots of people who just because you have spent lots of time together with them, you have a relationship and, um, I mean, that's not the only reason you have a relationship, but that's how a lot of children relationships are formed. It's just based on the fact that you shove together a whole lot. And in, um, especially in YA and sometimes in middle grade, actually a lot of times in middle grade too, I think that that's when those relationships start breaking down because you start having different opinions about, I don't know, politics and the way you use your time and about extracurriculars and about life. I had life. so many friendships in middle school ruined by politics. 
In middle oh, school? Oh, oh wow. Wow. Was that a joke? It was supposed to be Sorry, a joke. Sorry, bad sarcasm. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay, but like as adults, how many people have relationships ruined by politics? Because I feel like there have been grade. a couple I've seen just over the last little bit. But I mean, I feel like especially when you're in like those formative, I'm trying to figure out who I am and I'm starting to almost be an adult years, that's when those friendships either you like link together and you'll never get, let each other go or they break. And so... I mean, it's it's a really good way, like to just show the difference between the way we were when we were kids versus the way we are now. Like I'm reading, um, one of us is next right now, by Karen McManus, who's been on the show a couple of times, and I love the things that she does with platonic relationships in her books. There's always like sister relationships, and like friend relationships, and like uh, the one right now, it's like a break between two sisters because of some really nasty stuff that has happened between them and also because their father died. And as a result of grief, they've all kind of grown apart. And like the pain that comes with that, that's a real feeling that I can identify with, even though I haven't had those specific things happen to me, but I have grown apart from people. And so it's a really sympathetic and easy way for me to like be really invested in this story, even though I've only read the first couple of chapters. Um, I think I think there are a couple of things to keep in mind when you're trying to form a uh like a non-romantic relationship in a book. And those things are that your characters are going to have a shared history. They need to have chemistry and they need to have their own worldviews. And I guess what I mean by that is that history between the relationship, no matter how, how much or little of that there is, it's always going to be informing what the characters say and do around each other. So Maybe they're lifelong best friends who know how to comfort each other or how to hurt each other perfectly, or maybe it's a new member on a scrappy team of rebels. But regardless, you have to keep in mind what characters know about each other and what they've been through together, because that's going to affect how they interact with each other. And then as far as chemistry goes, um, the same reason that like romantic partners need a reason to be interested in each other, your non-romantic relationships need a reason for why they hang out and why they care about each other. Like, why do they choose to spend time together? What do they have in common? What makes them different from each other? How do they complement each other? Or or if they're like more of an enemy relationship, you need to still examine those questions and ask the reverse of them. Um, and then worldviews, even people who really like each other are going to disagree with each other from time to time. And they need to have their own um, views that like inform the decisions they make. And this is just my personal preference, and I think maybe people might disagree with me, but I, I think it's important to have characters that don't always get along on the big decisions, in part for reality thing, but also because it's a really good way to increase your tension and your stakes as you're writing. And, and previous history or previous disagreements will always come into play there, and your shared history is going to affect pretty much every every way that characters interact with each other. So I think maybe those are some more concrete hows. I like your take on chemistry. I think that's something we usually think of in terms of uh, romance novels or romance between two characters. So that's a good note that it should be between every every character, every relationship you have. Well, I mean, if you think of like Aurora Burning or like I was talking about Firefly, one of the best things about those is how the characters are just like always feeding off of each other and supporting each other or not supporting each other. And I, that's what sells that stuff to me. I love it. So with all these different relationships, we've talked a little bit about giving them tension, how to give them meaning and depth. But how can you give a platonic relationship an arc? With a romance arc, with a romance relationship... 
Um, the arc would be they meet, they fall in love, they break it off or end up happily ever after. But with a platonic relationship, where is it going? I think on a really, well, I mean, oh, sorry, Kayla. go ahead. I was just going to say that no, you're on a really basic level, I think characters are either growing closer together or they're growing farther apart. But you you can look at that in about a billion different other ways and arcs. Um, which, I mean, if you look at our notes, <laughs> I, I did, in <laughs> fact, go about a billion different ways. I think there's something to remember with relationship arcs with platonic relationships, especially with family relationships, is that it's a lot more... I mean, it's super painful if you have something terrible happen in a romantic relationship, especially if it's a long-term one. However, if you have a family relationship, like, those people are never going away. And so it's a lot more, like, world-crashing if you have a terrible fight with your mother or your sibling who you've always been really close to versus, like that guy you met on that app, you know, remember <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. Um, like it might be annoying, but like your, your sibling's never going to go away. So you have to resolve it or you have to like, I don't even know what. So anyway, relationship arcs, go ahead. Kristen, you had a bunch of really good examples. So some that I thought of something that happened is that you have to admit a hard truth to a person and deal with the fallout of that. So I thought of Siamara and her mom and the poet X, which is a great book, overcoming an old disagreement or misunderstanding like the Marauders and Harry Potter, um, coming to terms with the way someone you've known for a long time has changed or has not changed. So maybe Ahsoka and Anakin or in Jane the Virgin, there's a really, really great moment where she thought that her mom had ruined her 16th birthday party, but it turns out that her mom actually really saved the day from a really bad guy doing ever increasingly stupid things to save the person you love. I'm looking at you, Supernatural, uh, <laughs> dealing with how the different people in a relationship prioritize different things and what that means for you to group, which can be anything from like the babysitter's club to six of crows where people are each gunning for their own thing. Changing, even changing your type of platonic relationship can be an arc where if you started as an enemy and you end up as a friend or you started as an enemy and you end up as a parental figure like in the Mandalorian or if you start as a parental figure and you betray the trust. So, so switching the types of relationships you have could be there. Mm-hmm. There are about a billion others, but those were the ones that occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good list. We're about out of time for this part. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Awesome. There you have it, listeners. Go forth and platonicize. Is that a word? The world. Make it all platonic. <laughs> this suddenly got very political. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we'll move on to the portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. A quick review of how we critique, we like to keep these non-prescriptive, but you can see the submission for yourself and all all of our notes if you check out our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, quick summary. In this chapter, Tammy, a shark-loving spy, is briefed on a secret mission that could lead to the most powerful weapon in existence. What are some things we liked? Um, I really loved that. Um, like, I love the idea of this core group of spies who are really sturdy, nerdy and snarky with each other. It seems like they have great chemistry at the beginning there. I love the first line. I thought it was just very telling about the character. It says, Tammy never thought she would be going on adventures where the danger was greater than the safety. I think there were some cool uh, names and and 
code names happening in here. Just a lot of um, spy tropes that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I love that one of them has the code name OOO. And I'm really hoping that there are lots of really awful jokes associated with the fact that their name is ooh or something like that. I don't know. So this idea of the weapon is really cool. They call it an aura. Um, and it mentions that a couple of kids ran into it first. I thought that was an exciting idea. Kids finding the most dangerous weapon ever first. Mm-hmm. What are some things that might need a second look? My first question both during and after reading this, is what age group is this written for? Because it's got adult main characters, it seems like, or at least upper teens, I'm guessing adults. But it seems like um, like with the funky code names and like the kind of fixation on sharks and like just how easy everything is, it seems like young middle grade. And those two things are going to have very different feels to them. Right now it reads like middle grade, but I'm not sure what the, the writer was going for. I'll second that. I think, so there, so I feel like if I had known what uh, age group to read this in, it would completely change the feedback I have. So for instance, if this is a middle grade novel, a code name that like is made of your initials, is totally fine. It's funny. It's great. But if it's supposed to be more of a serious adult novel and your adult spies have code names that match their initials, I'm going to be questioning like their spying abilities and if they're actually safe. Um, that's just a really small example, but I just completely agree with what Caitlin said. So I like this introduction to Tammy that she's a shark loving spy and, um, she tells us a little bit about her backstory and what she's looking for on the boat she's on, but we're told a lot about who she is instead of shown. And so to me, that made the beginning feel kind of less like I was immersed in it and more like I was reading something on a page. It's always better if you can to show things about your character instead of tell. And then the the reader gets to draw those conclusions for themselves. Absolutely. Going along with that, I, I think it's okay to have a book open with like kind of narration, which is what this one does. There are plenty of books that do a great job at this. Like the one that came to mind for me was The Raven Boys, which has this prologue, which is pretty much like a big info dump, but it's a super interesting info dump, so I love it. Um, it's like prepping the rest of the series for the train wreck that's coming. Um, but in this one, we kind of get that same sort of thing where a character is explaining something rather than being in the middle of a situation or in the middle of a scene. And it isn't like super compelling. She's just sitting there and thinking, man, I wish I was an ichthyologist rather than a a spy. And that doesn't have a whole lot to do with what happens next. And so as an opener for a book, it it was a little bit flat for me. What did you guys think? I'll agree with that. My actual biggest comment, I think, is actually about formatting. So typical uh, typical submission formatting is going to be Times New Roman, 12-point font, double-spaced, with normal paragraphing where it breaks after each speaker. And, and when that's not followed, it can sort of be a headache to read. And a lot of times, the agents or editors who are going to be looking at it, if they have to decide not to read something, they're going to decide not to read the thing that's formatted weird. And there are kind of two main reasons for that. One, which is usually there are usually instructions about formatting. and when instructions aren't followed, it sort of gives impressions about what an author is going to be like to work with. And the second thing is that unfortunately, publishing is a business and time is money. And so the more effort and time an editor has to put into cleaning up 
editing uh, smaller things, the more it would cost to produce, and so the less likely it is to pick up. So just something as simple as, as making sure formatting is right can make a huge difference as far as submitting to agents. Mm-hmm. Well, even just to like understanding some of the things I noticed in this that I had a hard time with were because of formatting. I didn't always know who was talking. I didn't always know what was going on just because of the way it was formatted. So um, so they're hunting this weapon called the Aura and everyone seems to think it's a myth. So that made me wonder why they were hunting it. Yeah, I guess I just wondered why the organization was so set on finding it when they also were so set that it was a myth. Yeah, I had kind of this weird response where she's like, it's a legend, you know, like Bigfoot. And so she doesn't say Bigfoot, but that's the impression I got. And so when the other character was like, we found it, it's amazing. I feel like I would have laughed as an adult. This is where the most middle gradey stuff happens, where they're they're fixating on this thing that they thought wasn't real, but now they get that, that it is real and they have to get it. But I don't know why they think it's real. I don't know why in world it was a legend versus not a legend. I don't know what context should be going around this weapon and why I should be excited about it. So, yeah. Any final notes? All right, that's our time for today. Thanks so much to this author for submitting. We loved reading your work, and I had learned a new word about a shark scientist, and I've forgotten. So a shark scientist is a... Ichthyologist. There you have it, folks. (laughs) Our next guest will be Isaac Stewart, the debut author of the picture book Monsters Don't Wear Underpants, and Brandon Sanderson's art director at Dragonsteel Entertainment. If you'd like a first chapter critique from Isaac... Get us your work by November 25th. And if you like what you've heard today, please check out our new Patreon page, where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques and early access and participate in a writing group with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, and thanks to you for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.